0: Hello from Houston. My name is Luke Johnson. I am a reporter on the corporate team for Energy Intelligence. And with me today is Bureau Chief Noah Brenner. Hey, Noah. Hey, Luke. And the woman of the hour, Dion Doherty. How are you doing, Dion?
1: I'm doing
2: well, Luke. How are you?
0: I'm good. Uh, the three of us comprise the corporate team. Um, and although we're not talking about anything specifically corporate related here, uh, the subject we're talking about is flaring, which actually uh, impacts many of the corporations working in Texas. So, uh, Dion has just completed a, a mammoth series of reporting um, on flaring in Texas and uh, specifically in the Permian Basin, or at least focused in the Permian Basin. Uh, this series has been uh, almost a year in the making, and it all started with a, re- a Texas Open Records request. Um, a program that's similar to the Federal Freedom of Information Act, but uh, for Texas. So uh, you need to ask uh, some sort of uh, agency for some set of information. So who did you ask and what did you ask for?
2: Right. So we went to the Texas Railroad Commission, which, despite its name, regulates the oil and gas industry in the state. And uh, we asked for permit data, just what for, I think, the last five years, what permits had been requested and what had been granted. Uh, so they responded with a 4,400 page table, uh, that was all coded in railroad commissiones. So we had to kind of break that down and that was stuff like, uh, what operator had made the request, uh, for what County, for how long, for how much volume, um, and then why, why did they need this particular permit? So we, um, we had to decipher that and then break it down by year because although we had only asked for five years, um, to capture the latest side of the shale revolution. They gave us everything back to the 80s. Uh, It was a mess.
1: And so, Dion. Uh, just just to clarify here, these are these are permits that operators need to flare natural gas in Texas, uh, which is technically uh, prohibited in some way. But but the Railroad Commission is is able to grant these ex- exemptions. Is, right. is that right?
2: Right. Right. Um, so, th- whatever an operator brings a well on, they get ten days as a grace period to clean up and, and figure out if there's any problems. Uh, beyond that, they'll have to request a forty five day exception. And they can do subsequent 45-day exceptions up through 180 days. So it's basically getting a pass for six months. Um, beyond that, they have to go before the commission and ask. Uh, and and some there's a lot of people who do. Uh, they ask for a lot of time, some permanently.
0: So you uncovered uh, some really interesting bits of information um, and some surprising information, um, including the fact that the Texas Railroad Commission uh, has actually never denied a request to flare gas from an oil well. Um, And we'll get into some of the broader, you know, findings and implications of that. But uh, just to dwell on that for a minute, I mean, Texas does have regulations for flaring, right?
2: They do. Um, And it's illegal to do it without a permit, giving you an exception. Uh, The thing is, everybody gets the exception. Um, But what's ironic is there's actually companies out there that don't even bother getting a permit. And from what I can tell, they don't get penalized for it.
0: Hmm. And so that's what the data said. Uh, What does the Railroad Commission say?
2: Uh, The Railroad Commission said that it happens, but just sort of they don't make it to the hearing part, that they actually do deny these requests so we asked for the documentation through another open records request and uh we're told that no the documents don't exist to back it up Hmm. um and then we directly asked another staffer and she said um pretty straightforward that no the commission has never denied a permit
0: okay well with that in mind um what uh let's let's just talk about some of the main takeaways from your reporting here um what uh, tell me what what are the main takeaways from your, from your perspective?
2: Well, from the the regulatory end of things, I mean the fact that they've never denied a permit. You know, you can we're in Texas, so it's I guess not terribly surprising, but to see it confirmed like that was kind of um, was unexpected. Um, and then the the more we dug in, um, it became clear that they don't really know how to regulate um, flaring because they're still trying to figure out if. They're supposed to, if they're charged from the state, is to um, prevent waste of molecules or to prevent economic waste. I mean, that's a conundrum they're fighting today or trying to figure out today.
1: Hmm. Well, and I think what was interesting in, in the course of the reporting is that we found that we weren't the only people that were surprised by this. Uh, we talked with uh, folks that you would consider experts. These are uh, consulting consultants within the industry. They are uh, equity analysts who, who pay a lot of attention to the companies that are active here. Um, folks that that really do, you would think, have kind of their finger on the pulse of the industry, and they uh, were just as surprised as we were, actually, if not more so, that the Railroad Commission does not uh, seem to be limiting flaring in any way. Uh, They point back to the same law uh, that Dion referenced that that supposedly does uh, limit the ability of companies to flare, Uh, and they were shocked, I guess, is is how I would term it, uh, that the Railroad Commission is not... Um, is not limiting flaring, that right. they're granting these permits uh, and, and have never denied one. And so it, it it wasn't kind of an outsider's perspective or anything. Mm. We, we were kind of shocked that, that a number of insiders have sort of bought into this narrative um, that the Railroad Commission is, is going to limit flaring. That mm.
2: the, yeah, that they care mm-hmm. about limiting it.
0: So if the regulators aren't going to limit flaring, uh, are environmental concerns going to slow it down? I mean, is anything going to slow down flaring?
2: Yeah. Um, environmental concerns won't Uh, we um, Noah and I talked to uh, small producers large producers and they confirmed on the record and off the record that they don't base whether or not they're going to produce on flaring if they build it in um, when they're getting their operations going then they won't have to flare but most of them seem to not And it's, I mean, it's not really a factor in whether or not they're going to produce. If they produce and they don't have access for the gas, they'll flare it.
0: But don't a lot of these uh, companies that are producing in the Permian, uh, don't they have or at least starting to develop uh, policies, internal policies to start to kind of limit their flaring, limit their emissions and, you know, kind of more ESG concerns that we're hearing a lot more about these days?
2: Uh, The the larger companies certainly do. Um, But as Noah found out, they can um they can sell assets in Nigeria and it won't even affect their Permian flaring, but they'll still meet their ESG goals.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting. We, we were digging through some some sustainability reports and some annual reports. And, you know, for instance, a, a company like ExxonMobil uh, has a, a commitment to reduce flaring by 25%. And I, I forget over the exact time period. Maybe it's off 2013 or 2014 uh, types of levels. And they were able to reduce their flaring by 24% um, simply when, when a third party uh, was able to fix a facility in Angola. Um and so that's the type of, you know, those are the types of gains that they're able to, to make and, and that they look for across their portfolio. And so these companies really can um, meet and, and very credibly meet their flaring reduction goals uh, across the portfolio at, at a corporate level and still flare and continue to increase flaring in the Permian Basin. And, and that's not to, to single out Exxon in any way, but it's just, I think it's a misconception that uh, a company that's looking to limit flaring would have to necessarily do so on all of its assets. Uh, and a lot of times these, these goals are aimed at routine flaring, which is the type of flaring that you would see in, you know, uh, say, a place like Nigeria or, or elsewhere, um, where companies have been flaring for years and years and years. Most of the flaring that goes on in the Permian Basin is, is probably what would be considered um, non-routine. It, it's a special situation where you've had uh, infrastructure go down or, or is not available Uh, And so, yeah, it it might be on a a more limited time basis, but, um, you know, that's – it's kind of seen as different in their eyes. So, I mean, and that's why they would have to apply for
0: these exemptions. Um, So in your looking at the exemptions, what kind of reasons are they giving for needing to flare?
2: Uh, Well, a lot of the reasons that they were giving for the need to flare was, you know, had nothing to do with the long-haul pipeline per se. It was – what would what the infrastructure that they need to get to the long haul pipeline or the equipment that they would need? Um, we saw a lot of high line pressure, which is when they put too much pressure in a pipeline and that slows everything down, including production. Um, we saw compressors that have failed, um, gas plant shut ins. I think, you know, a lot of third party sort of force majeure issues. Um, or causing the problems. And the thing is, they caused problems in 2018, um, 2016, 2015. So the idea that all flaring is going to go away once these long-haul pipelines come on is erroneous.
0: Hmm. Okay. So the other issue with flaring that it, certainly under the narrative that the state is going to regulate flaring and that you know, more flaring means, or more flaring regulations mean that oil production could be affected. Uh, It sounds like you have found that that is not the case.
2: Right. Um, The regulators, uh, they haven't done anything at this point. It's hard to imagine them doing anything in the future that would slow down flaring um, because they don't want to slow down oil production. What might end up happening is that uh, oil production, if it fades um, or decreases it might slow down the flaring because the flaring happens just as a as a byproduct i've been told to oil production and um, if they're producing less oil they'll have less associated gas that they need to flare off
0: hmm. so we should not be looking at flaring as a risk to future production growth
2: no not at all
0: at least not in texas not in
2: texas
1: yeah, and I think that's important because it does challenge uh, some assumptions. I mean, we've seen research out in the past week that postulated that, that a lack of natural gas uh, infrastructure, particularly long-haul pipeline capacity, might be a drag on oil production from the Permian Basin. And, I mean, Dion found, what, 4%, 5% of, uh, of the flaring permits that were granted, were due to a lack of long haul pipeline capacity. And now, you know, an overtaxed pipeline system could certainly contribute to some of the downtime that was seen in other parts of, of the natural gas gathering, processing, uh, you know, in, in these other facilities. But I mean, the idea that that um, these new pipelines are gonna come on and all of a sudden, a an issue that accounted for 5% of our flared volumes and, and we're flaring something like what, 750 million cubic feet a day mm, in the Permian? Right, yeah. So, you know, 5% of that 750 million cubic feet a day is attributed to a lack of a long haul pipeline. And yet we hear people say that, you know, okay, this is this is kind of what's needed to solve the flaring problem is, is this long haul gas line. And you know, we, we just don't see it. And so, you know, we think that oil production will continue Uh, Based on the economics of oil production, you know, if if companies, if oil prices decline or if companies are uh, less able to access capital markets and and, and investors have different ideas about what they would like to see companies do, sure, that could impact flaring, but then it's really more production impacting flaring rather than flaring impacting production.
0: So even if production is not getting held back because of a lack of uh, pipeline infrastructure, still these pipelines are coming. uh, So... Should we expect flaring to become less rampant?
2: No, um, because there's a company right now in the first contested permit the Railroad Commission has ever had um, in which they've got access to pipeline. In fact, they're connected.
0: This is Exco Resources. This
2: is Exco, and they're connected to Williams right now in the Permian, but they don't want to pay the tariff. So that uh, Williams is contesting their permit to flare.
1: Well, I mean, it it gets to this really difficult situation where, you know, with the long-haul capacity coming on, you do need additional build-out of things like processing, gathering, those types of things. Um, And and companies are going to need to, you know, pay, either sign up for tariffs, sign up for uh, capacity on those systems, or build them out themselves. But either way, they're investing in infrastructure to move a product that has, at this point, really no value. Um, Gas pricing at the Waha Hub for the Permian has been uh, pennies, negative at times. Um, So you're actually investing in infrastructure and spending money that investors would prefer you didn't spend to get your product to a market where you then have to pay somebody again to take it. Yeah, that's a tough sell. Yeah, you're paying twice on something, and yet at the same time, you're being told by regulators that it's okay not to spend any of that money. You can just torch the gas for nothing. And so, at a time when oil companies, you know, all companies in the energy sector are really struggling financially, um, I mean, you kind of tell me what's the more attractive equation from, from a management standpoint. You can spend no money Or you can spend a bunch of money.
2: Yeah, (laughs) on infrastructure that might not ever be needed.
1: Exactly. Um, And so it it gets said, I mean, there is an economic element that makes this whole um, problem more intractable. um, And that's that there's really just not a payoff at the end of it for for doing things that, that would limit flaring.
0: So this uh, Exco Williams case is probably kind of the next uh, touch point in this whole sort of discussion. Uh, I guess the other question is, uh, why aren't environmental companies being more, uh, you know, aggressive uh, uh, against this kind of thing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, What Noah was saying earlier is that, you know, working through this series, it's raised more questions than we even started with. Um, I don't know why the... Environmentalists aren't being more active unless it's because they're a tech in Texas and don't expect much response. Um, you know, some of them we know go out and take pictures and, and do things, but um, it's the same stuff they were doing 10 years ago, so it doesn't seem to have had much impact.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, just a a lot of interesting questions going forward. I know, uh, Deanne, you're planning to attend uh, the Railroad Commission hearing where the Exco Williams case uh, will be discussed, and I think we'll probably get some insight into how the Railroad <laughs> Commission is thinking around that. Um, why we haven't seen you know, uh, some sort of lawsuit or something like that on the part of environmental groups to try to stop this is an interesting question. It could be that they're kind of waiting some of the, the discussion around that Exco Williams case as well. To get some insight into how the Railroad Commission, uh, especially that legal staff, um, you know, beyond the commissioners might be thinking about flaring. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I think this is something that we're going to be working through for some time to come.
2: Yeah. And it's tough in, in that part of Texas, because the population is sparse. So the people out there depend on the oil revenue. Um, and if they're not getting sick from the flaring, then maybe they don't want to uh, engage.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is certainly a different landscape than, than say, um, someplace like the Marcellus or somewhere like that where there's, there are more people around. And, you know, I would just say that to, to those that really think that a build-out of infrastructure is going to fix flaring, I mean, we still see flaring persist in the Bakken, a uh, tight oil play, and that's with a state that is uh, quite stringent and quite committed to trying to limit flaring. And, and it all comes because you've got this, this very broad midstream system and all, it's only as good as, there's only as much capacity as there is in the smallest part. Um, it's kind of a weakest link theory. Uh, and it, you know, if, if one part of the build out doesn't keep pace with the rest of it, um, you know, you're going to be limited by that. And so it's, and, and production's due to increase in Permian for a long time. Um, and so there really is going to be continued pressure uh, in this area, and, and it's going to take time to work out
0: okay well I' um, still a lot of questions left unanswered um, but hopefully we can answer some of them as the as we continue following the story it's a, definitely an important story and um, congratulations Dion on uh, completing this it, obviously a lot of work went into it so uh, you can check that out on the website energyintel.com, um and we'll talk to you next time